Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton here with you on Supply Chain. Now, welcome to today's show. Hey, you are in for a treat today. I'm really looking forward to today's show. We're talking with one of the smartest folks I know, and I mean that. A dear friend, industry veteran, great leader. So stay tuned as we get more into his story, as well as offer up three key trends that you got to be tracking and understand in global supply chain. So stay tuned for a fun and insightful, actionable uh, discussion here today. So with all of that said, I want to introduce my friend and our featured guest here today. We've got Constantine Limbarakis, a guest host here at Supply Chain Now, also CEO and owner at Liberus Consulting. He's a well-respected board member, analyst, practitioner, and been there and done that leader. Constantine, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning, or as we'd say in the Greek, Kalimera. Okay, Kalimera. Kalimera, say that right? (laughs) (laughs) I've been working on my Greek. Uh, There you go. But great to have you here. We've really enjoyed some of our recent shows together, a lot of your insights. I know you love global supply chain as much as we do, and it is a fascinating time to be in industry. But Constantine, and and AKA Dino, so listeners and and viewers out there, y'all might hear me refer to Constantine via one of his many nicknames, which is Dino. So one the same, Constantine, right? That's, that's not yes. a split personality. Or... Oh, many derivatives of the name Constantine. So you gravitated to that one, Scott. So All right. Don't. Derivatives, but you promise no math questions, right? Okay, no, no math, math questions. No math. Okay. All right. So if y'all can't tell, Constantine has got a great sense of humor, and that's just tip of the iceberg. So I want to start, before we get into some of your expertise here, let's go way back. So where did you grow up, Dino? Well, it's an interesting story, well, that started in actually in Australia. So my parents both left Greece as immigrants and decided to go there as opposed to the United States because they both had relatives there. Mm. And so they were part of the Greek community in Sydney, in New South Wales, and and Parramatta, as I say like that, in Australia. I I, I never picked up the accent because I left when I was two. Okay. But, and if my Australian cousins would hear me, they'd probably be like scratching. (laughs) I try, I try with it. But yeah, so they met in Australia. My brother and I were both born there. And after a few years living there, my father decided to to come stateside to, because he saw just the potential of the U.S. and uh, he had relatives here too. And we came stateside. So that's where I grew up. I came here. We grew up in Chicago, Midwest, born or not born, but raised So I was raised with the Bears, the Cubs, the Bulls, and later on the Blackhawks when we got better. Okay. That's that's what I've been raised. Yeah. All right. So that's a truckload of information out of the gate. A couple follow-up questions. So Greece to Sydney to Chicago. So you've really got global roots and probably a very big global family. That's wonderful. Let me ask you two follow-up questions based on that. Give me one food dish. That was such a critical part of your upbringing that if you could have it for lunch today, you'd immediately do it. 
Well, you know, I think the movie Big Fat Greek Wedding has done much justice to this upbringing that I just described. So a lot of people who are listeners, whether they're Greek or just have the same experience, you got these ethnic foods. I think to me, you got to always have your spanakopita on the side. So in spanakopita, for those of you guys who don't know, it's that phyllo-based spinach pie. Yeah. And to be technical... Spanakopita is just the spinach pie. Okay. And I learned this the other day, well, last year when I went to Greece. <laughs> it's called Spanakotiropita, which includes the cheese, which is the feta cheese. But regardless, that's always a dish you got to have on the side. So yep. for those of you guys that love filo dough and spinach, and it's mm. just, it's a delight. So that's always a good thing. Sign me up. And it's so interesting. <laughs> it's so interesting. We've all gravitated around the Spanakopita. Yes. But we've all been referring probably inaccurately to the dish we actually eat is what I'm hearing, Constantine. Yeah, the cheese. And then there's other variants of it. I think depending upon where you are in Greece, there's like, there's food like creotopita, which means it's got meat in it. And there's like all any kind of combinations in different mm. regions have their own nuances. But I think the spinach one is the most. Okay. Well, yeah. Love it. Now that we are starving and I'm salivating all over my equipment. <laughs> you can eat it for breakfast, by the way. You go to the bakeries, you go to the places in the morning and you pick up your cookies and your whatever, and you can eat that for breakfast if you Let's want. Let's do it. So. There <laughs> that and some fruity pebbles and you're set. There you um, go. Okay. So the second follow-up before we get into uh, a little bit more about you, you mentioned, of course, those iconic Chicago sports teams, the Bears, the Cubs, the Bulls, the Blackhawks. What were you the biggest, most passionate of those four what are you the biggest fan of well i'm going to throw you a, a curveball here okay the one that i didn't mention i mean all those are well known right you got nba nfl nhl and so we always kind of grew up with those around but because of having that background in from the greek background my dad was always a big proponent of the soccer mm. so nasl was this emerging national North American soccer league. Yeah. This thing in the seventies that popped up. And so we would always go to sting games. Okay. Chicago sting was like a lot of what we grew up with. And that was like the New York cosmos. And there's Seattle Sounders. There's all these, uh, I don't think it was Seattle. I forgot the Seattle name, but there was a, a bunch of different teams that, that evolved. And then I think that league collapsed, but then now we have the MLS, but so with that being said, we'd go to Sting Games, but I would probably say out of all those, it was the Cubs. Okay. It was the lovable loser, the loyalty. <laughs> My brother, I have to say, he's like a really devout, his blood is blue and red, devout, <laughs> devout Cub fan. I'd kind of go along with the ride and say, hey, we're going to the game. All right, get me the hot dog and get me settled. <laughs> He'd be Love it. Kick documenting and detailing every pitch and all that. But it was, mm. so yeah. So that one, I would say the Cubs is probably the most important. Okay. But then, of course, we had the 85 Bears. And then we had the dynasty of the Bulls. So it, it depended on the years in Chicago right. at what which sport you gravitated towards. <laughs> and it's a lot of great years in the oh, 80s yeah, and 90s, sure. right? For sure. So the Sting, I'm going to have to look up the NASL and dive into its history. It sounds like it was a forebearer to Major League Soccer. Oh, yeah. And I thought when you were saying those, na- those team names, since I wasn't familiar with the NASL, I didn't know if you were going down like the roller derby. No league, but this is this was soccer in the seventies. So NASL, yeah. we'll look that up. Seventies well, and then into the eighties, and it started with outdoor, and then it moved into the indoor. And the part of the reason why I bring this up is it's just really reminiscent of what's going on with the MLS today. And they adopted the FIFA rules with MLS, and that's right. a big deal. And now you're starting to see some of the same kind of 
nuances that happened back then. So back in the day, it was Pele went to New York and to play for the Cosmos. Right. That was the biggest deal and put soccer on North on the U.S. map to say, oh my gosh. Right. Now you have players like Messi doing the same thing generations later. And so it's just kind of a, to me, it repeats itself. And I think we'll use this theme later on when we talk. Yes, we will. And of course, not even to mention the deep pockets that Saudi Arabia and then yeah. how they're bringing athletes with these massive contracts yeah. to their teams. But we'll save that for another time. I want to talk about your love of history. Yes. So, you know, one thing to any of our regular listeners and, and viewers out there, if you've seen any of Constantine's shows with us, I always reference it because I've really, I'm also a big, and I'm, I'm this is a term of endearment, Dino. I'm a big history nerd. I think you're a big history nerd. I'm a big, I, I find it fascinating, especially the under, the lesser known figures in history that mm -hmm. really were incredible leaders and did incredible things in the face of so many odds and obstacles and naysayers. Those are some of my favorite stories. Rose Knox comes to my mind. One of my favorites we published over on This Week in Business History. But tell us about your love of history and why that is. I think it really started at a young age and probably part and parcel due to my Greek heritage, going to places that were just always talked about and going to places like Athens or Olympia or Delphi that you always heard about in stories. And some people think it's like an untouchable place if you've never been there. But, you know, that had kind of instilled in me a certain sense of pride of my heritage. But at the same time, when you really peel it back and you look at the stories and what you're saying is, is you really realize the success, but you also realize the fallibility of these important mm. figures. And I think I always tell people when you look back at history, the things that are so different that we have today with technology and innovation at the pace of that, that's one thing, but they were dealing with the same challenges and problems that we have today. They were still worrying about how they were going to figure out the next day. They were still worrying about their health. They were still worrying about their families. They were still worrying about how they were going to you know, make their day and do business and hmm. very different nuances and not as mature. But I think those are the things we can learn and we can still learn by what people have done and what they've said. And the other thing I will say is a lot of times when we study history, we study these big figures, the, these kings and realms and stuff. But if you go deeper into that and you look at the societal, and I think there's a big movement in historians themselves looking more at the societal aspects of history. And when we're talking about big topics, I'll give you a perfect example. Mm. This idea of slavery that we've talked about, which has been top of conscious in the United States, especially because of some of the events that have happened recently. If you take a look back and go deeper and understand that this institution has been around since the beginning of time mm. and understanding what impacts those things have had and, and, and the negative things that it, it, you know, the things that it did to society and it, how it shaped society. Those are things that we're talking about today. When you're, when these politicians are being asked, was slavery bad or good? It's that was a part of the society. Of Goodness. course it was negative. Of course it did bad things, but that was so ingrained in mm. the society. Like how did you, you couldn't move away from that? And, and it was, how did that impact people's thinking? Uh, and that's what I think we need to learn from that. And I think it's important that we understand those things so that we can better be a better society as we move forward and know what was, you know, how to go forward and progress. So on that last note, I think what I heard there and what I believe is understanding history in, in all of its various forms, including that fallibility that you mentioned yes, of, of, sure. of leaders that long gone past. So we can 
have that those learnings and apply it to eradicating the issues of our time, which is in in, in many in if you think of a short list, certainly modern slavery, yeah, is sure. an issue of our time that global supply chain leaders are in position to do something about, and that awareness followed by that action is so critical right now. So folks, if you want to learn more, we're going to drop a link in the show notes about our friends that are some of our nonprofit friends that are doing big things about modern slavery and human trafficking. One other thing, Constantine, on a much lighter note, I've got to give a shout out to my beloved third grade teacher, the late, great Miss Gloria Marks. And now Miss Marks was a wonderful storyteller. One of my earliest storytellers that really I was like just fascinated with how she told a story really impacted my journey but Dino one of her favorite things that every class especially our class would learn from her is Greek mythology she had a masterful knowledge and grasp on all the various stories the big ones everyone knows and some of the smaller ones that of course would have life lessons and it was just just a very special special person to be around did you have you want to give a shout out? Do you have a similar teacher, maybe? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there were so many. I obviously went to Greek school, <laughs> so I had to learn Greek growing up, and we had different teachers there. But I had a teacher. It was in sixth grade. His name was Mr. Peterson, and he was a great history teacher, and I think he really helped me explore the fact that this is something that I was going to be very passionate about, and he mm. taught world history at sixth grade. And so it was, he was just such an interesting guy, and, and he was very influential in, in helping me kind of express why I think it's important and coloring the different maps and understanding the regions <laughs> right. and doing stuff with Athens and Sparta. And I was like, oh yeah, I know these places. This is where my parents were from. So it was, it's kind of cool. So yeah, it starts at an early age. And Very cool. got to get kids excited about it too in their own way. And considering the technologies that we have now that they can just click on something in video and see something on YouTube. It's amazing how much access they have to this, that you and I were probably just looking at it in some textbook that was from the Encyclopedia Britannica, right? Yes, yeah. or Funkin' Wagnalls, pick on a lot, Constantine. Yeah. One last thing. And folks, we want to give you a chance, especially since we, as we work and host shows more and more with Dino, I've always felt it's really important for our global supply chain now fam, all of our listeners and audience out there, to really understand the prism with how our hosts view the world and life and society. And of course the craft of global supply chain management. So thanks for indulging us on this front end. One last thing, and we're going to get into, want to make sure folks understand some of your background. Sure. The word amazing is thrown around all the time these days, but what you said there truly is amazing to think through how we learned history, maps, math, you name it, through those static textbooks that if you think back, I grew up in grade school in the 80s. Some of those textbooks were 10 years old because you had previous students would sign in on the inside front cover. And think about, we talk a lot about now how some of the certifications and trainings out there that lean on bodies of knowledge, the best ones are dynamic, that update as industry evolves. Mm -hmm. However, some of them out there are like those 1980s textbooks where they're published and they stay as is for years on end. And so, Constantine, it truly is amazing, the dynamic learning environment at our kids' fingertips that they all live in and enjoy right now, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And they should take advantage of every bit of it. Oh, every, amazing. every minute. Okay. So let's talk about some of your, let's kind of keep moving here. We're going to talk about, of course, supply chain, 
global supply chain. And I want to really understand and share with our audience some of the roles that you've held in global industry that really shaped your worldview, Constantine. Yeah, absolutely. So upon leaving graduate school, so I went to University of Illinois in Champaign, and then I went to grad school at Pitt, actually studied history and economics at U of I. And, you know, kind of gravitating towards graduate school, I got my MBA and, and a master's in international relations. And what I thought, what I saw was, is I was always very captivated by the innovation that's changed the world and things as, as things progress, whether they're geopolitical or they're regional or whether it's economically based. And I, I couldn't find a better way of, of trying to encompass all those things and getting into the world of con consulting. And that's where I got my start. I started at Anderson, was there for a few years and then got into technology, into the evolution of ERP. So worked with platforms like SAP and PeopleSoft and saw the evolution of things. And then something came around called e-commerce and e-procurement. And people were like, procurement? So how is that exciting? And this whole evolution came about, especially with the world with Ariba. I think they were the, probably the ones that really revolutionized the notion of digitizing how people are buying and thinking about it beyond just a purchase order and using EDI. It became this kind of transaction where you're empowering people to buy in an e-commerce setting and saying, okay, how do we improve how we buy indirect goods and do maverick spend and this, these topics? And there's so much evolution that's happened there since in the past 20 years. So I really got my foot started there. I got my foothold there, started in consulting and then transitioned at some point after I worked for a couple of companies, one that I helped found called the Shelby Group, which is still around, great guys over there. Another one called CCP Global. And then I worked at companies like Aberdeen and Hackett, which okay. many people know as sure. a researcher. I wanted to get deeper into that. And then I've also worked in the world of product marketing and product strategy. So working with a lot of smaller technology firms that are trying to get their name on the map and understand how they're leveraging their technology and how they're trying to improve what they're trying to do to implement with their clients and be a part of this bigger procurement supply chain ecosystem that I've been a part of. Constantine, what a great Reader's Digest or TikTok, TikTok version <laughs> of your journey, really, because I know that knowing you and knowing all of our conversations, you've got the stories and the experiences. You, I, I'm looking forward to the Constantine Limbarakis book coming out soon, maybe. But if I, so if I capture this right, before we move on, we're going to be talking about three trends in global supply chain that we all got to be tracking in sure. just a second. But if I had to build a series of pillars that really reflect your background. Big four, procurement, yep. startups, and research. Yes. You think those four are the pillars that define who you are? Yeah, I think those are really good ones for sure with that base. And that's helped shape what I want to do and what I'm passionate about, right? And how I can help companies and how I've worked in different places. Love it. Okay. So now we're going to move into what really is going to be the center plate part of our discussion here today. We love our numbered lists. I, I really do. And I'll tell you, Amanda may be listening, my better half, and she is, I've never seen anyone as serious about her lists than Amanda is. Constantine, are you wired like that? Yeah, I like, I mean, it makes it convenient, right? It makes it easy. It's it, There's something in the mind, right? Obviously that it, it helps us put things together. And it's obviously probably the reason why we've designed technology to do things like that too for us, right? To make it in the shorthand, but there's something there, right? The bio and the electrical and the neurological, there's a reflection of reality, right? So there is. And there's proven professional research 
that shows when you build a list, and I'm not lying, I'm, I'm halfway kidding, but I'm really serious. When you build a list and you get something done and you mark it off, there are chemicals that are released in your brain that give you pleasure and relief from that. So y'all check it out. Yes. Amanda's like, where y'all been? I've been doing this my whole life. <laughs> All right. So Constantine, we're going to get into our own small list here today. Three trends mm -hmm. in global supply chain that we all got to be tracking. And I've asked a lot of folks the same, this similar, same or similar question going back hundreds of episodes. So if you think about here where we are at this point in 2023 in global supply chain, what's the first trend that got to be squarely on our radar? All right. We'll start big and we'll kind of go in, right? Okay. I think one of the biggest ones is just the ongoing and nature of the change in the relationship. And I'll use a big word here from international relations, Sino-American relations, mm. <laughs> Chinese American relations, right? I, it's an interesting dynamic because I think we've seen over the past 50 or 60 years, once we got into the Cold War and we saw this increase in manufacturing and the boom of the United States moving from a manufacturing, we became the global hegemon, if you will, or with the rival with the Soviet Union, and we needed to find ways of lowering our cost in manufacturing. What happens is this rise of China, this sleeping giant, if you will, mm. that became what it is today. And I think because of these shifts, and you see this, and this goes back to the history, right? You see this constantly throughout history where there's these changes and shifts in global power and global influence. And I think because of their rise in their society after the Chinese revolution and who took hold and the communist party and then how they wanted to develop their society and economy, they're now seeing a shift and change in how they want to be envisioned in the world. They don't want to be seen as the cheapest manufacturer. They don't mm. want to be seen as the world's manufacturer. They want to see their own influence in their own region. And I think because of those changes, whether it's geopolitical, or economic. I mean, you can't escape the news. I mean, front page of the Wall Street Journal today talked about the decrease in exports, historical decrease in exports from China to the United States and globally. And this is this part of this transition that we're seeing where Europe and the US are trying to reconfigure for security purposes, I think, for sustainability purposes, their supply chains to figure out, well, how are we going to buy and manufacture goods and services? the way we want to without being as reliant on a place like China that is also going through its own transition, right? Yeah. So how do we manage that? You can't avoid that. It's inescapable. Yes. And, and, you know, how do you manage that in your business? That's the question. Billion dollar, billion dollar question. And trillion, and trillion. trillion dollar question. That's right. <laughs> Seriously. I'm not, we're not going big enough. Yeah, a couple sure. thoughts there. First off, you mentioned the word reconfiguration and goodness yeah. gracious. If there's anything taking place right now across global business, not even just supply chain, there's a ton of reconfiguration based on where we have come just in the last couple of years, maybe mm -hmm. even the last few months, and what lies ahead. And then to that point, I'd share one more thing when we think about the Sino-American relationship between China and the U.S. And really, it's greater than that, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. really China and the rest of the world, as you, you were speaking to. One mm -hmm. thing I'm really keeping my eye on is the relationship that is developing and continues to evolve between China and Russia. Yes. I think that relationship poses a, is going to have a big bearing on the immediate short-term path ahead. So, you know, 
not to dive into some of those topics, but certainly we are hoping and praying that cooler heads will prevail yeah. when it comes to Ukraine and the suffering and the aggression and just killing. Yeah. And I will come have to, to say end. one thing about that. Again, one of the things that's interesting about, you know, again, the shift in global influence is when we're thinking about that regionalization, we need to keep in mind too is again, I think we all need to do a better job in the schools of learning not only about Western history, mm. which is the predominant, oh, we start in the middle, in Mesopotamia and Egypt and Greece and Rome and all this. And it's like, well, you guys, you realize there was this global powers emerging in, in places like China for hundreds and hundreds of years. And that's their world perspective, right? Yes. They see themselves as the center of civilization back in the day. For God's sakes, they invented paper. They were, they had the silk trade. I mean, gunpowder. All these things that we think, oh yeah, well, where did that come from? Well, right, came from China. Sure. So that perspective for them is how they look at themselves. So from the Chinese world. And then the other side of it too, with Russia, we always throw out this term Soviet Union is like, oh, and then the Soviet Union is trying to rebuild. It goes beyond that. It goes for them, their ethnic identity is the Russian people, Russian mm. idea, whether what's going on over there is a terrible injustice, but mm. understanding what is motivating right. that action is going to help us understand how we're going to get out of it, right? Agreed. Because it's not going to go away. And unfortunately, and too often, U.S. foreign policy has become focused on the short term. Mm. And as we know what happened with Hitler in, the, in Russia and with Napoleon, which, by the way, a movie is going to be coming out with. Yes, I saw that. Music. Those guys weren't in it for the short term. They did the long haul. And I think we always need to keep that in perspective of what's going to happen, how this is going to evolve. Where every four years we might shift. Right. Those guys, they're just going to see it out. Excellent. Constantine, Constantine, that's an excellent perspective because in particular, Chinese leadership, Mm -hmm. all about the big picture, all Mm -hmm. about the big picture. That's an excellent call out. Okay. It's tough to tackle what we just tackled that first trend in span of 10 minutes. But for the sake of time, right, we will protect everyone's time, especially our listeners' time. So the first one, of course, was that uh, relationship between China and the U.S. in particular. What's the second trend folks have to be tracking and know more about? I think it's very much connected to that in terms of the logistics and emissions with scope three that people are all very aware of. They're trying to do a better job. They're making corporations are making promises out there about how they're going to do that and become more sustainable. We've heard this in the scope of corporate social responsibility. We've heard it in the scope of uh, ESG. Okay, that's out there, right? We all we're all aware of this. I think America's kind of caught up to that. It's no longer just the Europeans trying to be good. It's the U.S. companies are also on board with this. I think the thing that I'm seeing though, and I'm reading a lot about from a lot of practitioners in procurement and supply chain. I don't know if this is new or not, but there's a certain level of sustainability fatigue Mm. that is out there. And I'm not saying that it's going away. And I'm not saying that it's not still critical and strategic because to me, the way this is going to all unfold is it's you're either going to get slapped on the hand. And I think we talked about this on podcasts before. You're either going to get slapped on the hand because some compliance or regulations telling you you did it wrong and you have to be made an example of, Mm. or it's a part of your corporate culture that you're going to continue to innovate. And whether it's in the environmental side from sustainability or whether it's from a diversity side or whether it's from different angles you could take with ESG, 
I think what's happening is that if you're over-promising, it's again, it's typical with trends, right? It gets so far to the right and everybody is hiring all these ESG, chief ESG officers. Mm. And the business is then trying to align with that. And in the end, they still have to be profitable. And the question is, how are you trying to be profitable and innovate along those lines? And I think that's going to take some time. And every company is going to have to figure that out on their own. And in 10 years, pe- people are going to say, yeah, that's just a part of our business. Right. It isn't anything special that everybody does that right. So, you know, it's like terms like that. So, but I think there's a sense of certain little bit of fatigue. And I think a lot of that is the pressure that we're seeing with inflation. We're seeing the pressure with the economic state of things. And so that's putting extra pressure on, on businesses to figure out how they're going to continue meeting those goals because they want to see be favorable in the eyes of the public. And how do you balance that? So that's another trend yes. that I'm seeing that's just emerging. Yes. And you mentioned inflation. Hey, how about yeah. shrinkflation? Folks, y'all got to stop messing with my ice cream. Stop giving me less ice cream in the same similar containers. Speaking of food, though, Constantine, you and I had a great chat as we were talking about getting together for this episode here today. Yeah. And I was sharing with you my travels to South Africa, Cape Town in particular, mm-hmm. and big shout out to my friends, my, my dear friend, Jenny Froome, by the way. And I, I was t- telling you, speaking of sustainability and speaking of consumers and speaking of really how responsible and forward-looking supply chain management can really impact the enterprise. Don't laugh, but I was telling you about my Kit Kat experience yes. in Cape Town, right? Yes. Uh, long story short, me and Amanda were in the Woolworths retail store in Cape Town, and I was buying a bunch of candy for my kids who wanted to sample you know, candy and snacks from a different part of the world. So we're grabbing this instead of to take back on the plane. And I saw this Kit Kat, but on this Kit Kat, it had a message about the most are highly, let's see here. It says something basically 100% sustainably farmed cocoa beans, right? The mm-hmm. stuff that makes chocolate. And so they got me right there. So I grabbed, because you know I hadn't seen that uh, on the Kit Kats mm-hmm. here in the U.S. So I grabbed it, and me and Amanda, we, we, to be fair, we might have grabbed two. So <laughs> I wasn't really thinking. I was like, you know, this probably is just like marketing speak, and the product's yes. the same. Constantine. When we tried this Kit Kat there in Cape Town, it was so different and so much better than the American chocolate we get here. And to know, and this is where the real power comes in, to know that the cocoa beans that were used were procured in a very sustainable fashion so much that they can make that promise on the packaging. And mm-hmm. it hits that demand that's growing with consumers that want to spend money on more sustainably produced products. It was a delicious thing beyond the Kit Kat itself. So your quick response, and then we're going to move to your third trend. Well, I mean, it's interesting, right? It's like going back to the simplicity of local is better with all these farmers markets and the thing and say, oh my gosh, it tastes so much better. Or why is the food so much better? It, when you go to in some of these markets, even I you know, and you go to places in Europe and you're like, oh my gosh, the food is just amazing. Hmm. But why is that? It's because of the local source stuff. So it, it has two functions. It's healthier for you mm. and it's better for the environment and it helps local business. So it's three. I mean, so sometimes in solving these challenges, we realize that something we thought was going to be the most expensive in the long term is going to be the best approach. Yes. Yes. And throwing this out there, we're going to have some really big conversations coming up in future episodes related to the EV battery industry. Mm-hmm. 
because talk about the challenges to try to keep up with demand and some of the some of the ways that production is taking place and creating really big challenges and injustices that global business leaders are going to have to tackle and eradicate. But we'll save that for another show. All right. So if you're keeping score at home, like I am, number one, your first trend was the relationship between China and the U.S. Secondly was sustainability fatigue. And the third trend that our listeners just have to keep on their radar. All right. Well, I mean, this is something everybody's been talking about, but maybe I'll create a new phrase. And this is the beauty of the English language for all its faults. It's flexible and agile <laughs> and it works. I don't know if you could do this with other languages as easily, but the AIification mm. of the job force. <laughs> I don't know. Did I just create something? Should I do a three-peat on that and yeah. just put a copyright? The, definitely. I was about to, you beat me to it. AIification, AIification, right? But it, you know what it is? We've been experiencing this for the past 10, 15 years, right? I mean, it's become second nature to ask Siri or Alexa. And if I say it too loud, she's going to respond to to things, right? And I think part of this is becoming the B2C always seems to have an interesting influence on B2B. Yeah. Always. Is it easier to use? Is it better to do? Is it making ga the gamification, all these nuances of how consumers are forcing businesses to think differently and how they're doing their process. And I think the AIification that I'm getting at is this job force of finding the day-to-day -day routines and using the generative AI in all the different functions. And that, I'm going to do a call out to a former colleague of mine, a gentleman by the name of Christopher Dwyer. I used to work with him at Aberdeen. He's talking about the future of the workforce with his, in terms of some of the stuff that he's talking about on his podcast. Yeah. One of the things that you're seeing is like, how are you going to incorporate that into your day to day? So companies are using that now to decide how they should manage their functions, not only on the enterprise level where it's like machine learning and understanding patterns for, for corporate buying or for understanding risk, but it's also on the personal level where they're going to be using these technologies to make their job easier in terms of the day-to-day the -day function. And, you know, go into a chat GPT and say, you're writing a CV or you're writing a letter and it's saying, help me make this better. That kind of function and even anything from marketing to operations to supply chain. Right. How is that going to be incorporated into the day-to-day -day function? What's that going to have an impact on the job force? And what I always tell people is I think that it's not going to necessarily be that you're going to get replaced it's going to be that you have to shift. Mm. You're going to have to pivot. It's that change is constant idea. Always, and how do you incorporate the new into what you do on a daily function? And that to me is going to be just, it's not going to go away. And I think it put AI on the map for everybody because people thought of AI as this robot, like we talked about. It's always this robot running around. And there are robots that do AI, but <laughs> right. on your day-to-day -day function, you're not going to call your Fido dog. It's going to go get your paper yet. But it's the how I use this, the knowledge and the power of these technologies that have been developed daily to improve my job and improve how we're improving supply chains and procurement and other operational functions. So that's I'll leave you with this. I just saw an advertisement in my inbox. I think Northwestern is doing a whole class for executives about generative AI. And they're like, how are you going to use this in your day-to-day -day function? So when it's at that level, mm. 
exec that it's at the executives forefront it it's not just an it question anymore uh, it's everybody's question excellent that is an excellent i'm going to quote you on that and i might steal that cuz it's not an it discussion anymore it really isn't no so i'm going to do a little 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 i'm going to add a little sweetener here constantine okay. a little little curveball so last night i stumbled across this this lecture series and sam altman who is the ceo of OpenAI was mm-hmm. part of this lecture series. And he had, there's a bunch of great quotes, especially as the two of us are entrepreneurs, right? And we're familiar with startups. Mm-hmm. A lot of the, the main thrust was on startups. So what I did uh, last night is I, I took some of my favorites that Sam Altman dropped, stuff like this. You certainly, quote, this is Sam Altman, quote, you certainly don't need to have everything figured out in the path from here to world domination, end quote. I love that quote because a lot of folks look for those perfect plans and there are no such thing. I'm going to say there's value, there's immense value. And this is one of his other quotes in the planning process, but plans are broken repeatedly because conditions change, curveballs change. But here, uh, I don't want want to get too far off what my point I was making. But what I did, Dino, is I took his quotes, I took one of them and I plugged it into chat gpt to see what <laughs> to see what it'd say and it really it was it's just a it was a neat exercise so folks if you're not out there messing around tinkering with chat mm-hmm. gpt you're really missing out there's a free version there's a yeah. 20 dollar a month version really do it but one last thing dino because i love this quote here this is really important i'll get your take on it and then we'll talk about change but uh, sam said quote if you don't love and believe in what you're building you're likely to give up at some point along the way, end quote. And that hit me right in my bones, right? Mm-hmm. So folks, take that to heart for whatever it means to you in your journey. You don't get your response to that, Constantine. Yeah, well, that's one thing that AI will never replace. It's the human passion mm. for innovation, mm. right? That spirit of innovation, of the spirit of excellence is a spirit of, doing the best you can and cre- constantly creating. And that, that I go back to my history that there's the idea in ancient, the ancient Greek, aritos, which means like this perfection, right? There was a reason that they came up with this, trying to make everything the best that they could. And that idea and that philosophy is something that I think you should always carry with you mm. because then you, even when you fail, you're going to learn and even when you succeed, then you see the quality of your work. And mm. then what do you want to leave behind for future generations? Yes. There's a reason why we still admire all these amazing buildings and all these amazing things. It isn't because they were perfect and they didn't give up because they came up with a better way to figure something out. So when they couldn't get the angle right, they kept shifting and kept mm. pivoting. That's what I was trying to get at earlier is that there's nothing new there. Right. That, and that's what he's getting at too. Constantine, that is a beautiful sentiment. And what's that Greek phrase you shared about all? Aritos, aritos. It's like a perfection. Okay. Perfection of the work. And it even goes into the word technology. I'll give you the, we'll do with the big fat fat Greek wedding. (laughs) Techni, like technical, some technologia is the love of technos, which is like art. It's the art, it's creation of things. And so, again, it goes back to, doing the best you can, creating those things, not taking shortcuts. 
And that's at the root of the word technology. And that's Mm. what we always try to do is we try to innovate and try to improve. And I think that's where this is going to help us improve quicker. Yes. You can't forget the foundations and and the the fundamentals. Yes. And going back to work, the first part of your response there, that human passion and that human zest for constant, continuous improvement and not to be too dramatic, but really the dream factor, right? Mm -hmm. The bold vision of what humans bring to the table. That's next to irreplaceable, I would argue. Landing, right? Yes. All right. What a great conversation. I'm going to, before we wrap and make sure folks know what you do and how to get in touch on that stuff, I want to talk about managing change. If there's one thing, if you think of a short list of things that impacts everybody from the boardroom to the front line to families, you name it, it's universal. And that's managing change at the rate of change that where we are today. So major theme out there, certainly in global supply chain. I want to get one piece of advice. Constantine, I'm sure you could write a book on it, given your background, but what's one piece of advice you would offer our listeners who are digesting change left and right out there? I would say that change is around you and there's only, there's certain things you can do to influence that change, but you can't get consumed by it. And I think that's an important, whether you're trying to influence people and you're trying to say, Hey, I think this is the way we should do things. We have to often move with a certain flow, but At the same time, we can't assume that we're always going to be in control of Mm. everything that's around us. And so this goes back to this persistence and patience that we often have lost, I think, in modern society where we want quicker, better, easier, instant oatmeal, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Not so much oatmeal, but... (laughs) Well, so the change, so managing change goes with it is going is also being consistent. And also trying to see when you see opportunity, that's when you do it. But you're also trying to always hold true to something that you believe in and how you want to do things. And whether that is at your personal life or your professional life, corporate, you have to understand that to say, well, then maybe this is an opportunity that's presenting itself. So that's how I look at, that's how I look at managing change because change is constant. Yes. And away from that. Yes. And. As you point out, it can oftentimes be opportunity as a wonderful uh, point of view. All right. So when you mentioned the oatmeal thing, Constantine, (laughs) if there is such a market of high demand, instant oatmeal, I guess there is because it's out there in shelves since the beginning of time. So I guess you're right. But what it reminded me of was the scene, really the whole movie of My Cousin Vinny. Especially where if you, you've seen this movie, right? Oh, for, it's one of my favorites. Oh, it's one of the classics where he, where they're talking about instant grits and no self-respecting Southerner, and, and <laughs> you know, and, and then I can't remember exactly, but they're talking about cook time for grits, and and then one pro- part of the universe grits must cook quicker than the rest of the. It's just a great, great movie, folks. If y'all have not checked out, my yes, cousin Vinny, oh. actually, he's he's classic in that movie. So true. All right, so really the whole cast. Mm-hmm. What a wonderful cast of big-time stars, character actors, you name it. My Cousin Vinny. And, and parts of it was filmed in my neck of the woods, Dean. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine, and outside of Atlanta, right? That's right, that's right. Okay, so let's do this. I've got a couple of notes. I want to make sure our, our audience is aware of a couple of things I, f- I forgot to mention as we were working through our conversation. But before we touch on that, I want to make sure folks know Constantine in a nutshell what you're up to, especially yeah. with Liberus Consulting, and how can folks connect with you? 
Yeah. I've been uh, in this venture on and off for several years and uh, recently launched uh, a site that I have on what I'm doing. And essentially the way I'm connecting with companies and different technology organizations and helping them understand product strategy, product marketing, messaging. And I've always in interacting with how we try to embed some of the trends with what they're doing. And the way I you can you could connect with me is definitely on LinkedIn and learn more about what I'm trying to do and impact the industry. And yeah, and check us out. Just take a look at our site. We just launched. We sure will. And the URL is? LibrisConsulting.net. Wonderful. We'll add that to the show notes as well. And, and that really takes us. So folks, you can connect with Constantine. I, I would encourage on LinkedIn, check out the site. Any, Constantine, anything else for ways to, to reach out to you? Uh, you know, um, smoke signals, birds, pigeons. So we come up with the better way to do it. We think we've got <laughs> every form of communication that we mentioned. We do. And if you're ever in Chicago, grab a cup of coffee or an adult beverage with Constantine. Hey, speaking yeah. of show notes, in addition to Liberus Consulting and the URL there that we'll want you to go check out. Hey, we're talking about modern day slavery earlier. Hope for Justice, our friends at Hope for Justice, Tim Nelson, they are one of the world leaders in true action that's geared and focused on their own mission to eradicate modern slavery and human trafficking. So check them out. We'll include a note there. And I mentioned the LinkedIn post about some of the quotes from Sam Altman on startups. We had a lot of fun with that. I'm going to include that. And of course, I'd welcome y'all's take in the comments there about those quotes about startup life, hashtag startup life in general. Had to throw that in there for Greg White, Constantine. That is synonymous, I think, with Greg's journey and, and it's become certainly a big part of ours here. Constantine, man, really enjoyed today's conversation. I really I enjoy your how you view global supply chain management. We all look at it differently. We all have a different, there's some similarities in how we view some challenges and issues and exciting developments, but like how you bake in the global and the historical context into how you view it, it's, I think it's really fascinating. So thanks so much for joining us here today and for being a part of our Supply Chain Now team, because we've got some really good conversations coming up, don't we? Yes, we do, for sure. Outstanding. So we've been chatting with Constantine Limbarakis, again, the guest host here at Supply Chain Now and CEO and owner at Liberus Consulting. Y'all check that out. Constantine, thanks so much. Thank you. I appreciate it, Scott. You bet. Okay, folks, listeners, if you've been tuned in, watching, listening, you name it, hopefully you enjoyed this conversation, which is chock full, I believe, of some real actionable insights. I always love posing that three trends to track across industry to different people because kind of what we we're talking about a second ago, because we look at the world so much differently, the trends that Constantine is tracking is going to be a lot different than what I'm tracking and Greg and you name it, Amanda. And it's so important to uncover that because that's where you can really uncover what's in your blind spot. So hopefully listeners, y'all can take something that Constantine said here today, put it in a headlock, go out and take action, do something with it, right? Deeds, not words. And I bet there's a Greek phrase, Constantine. What would be, I'm going to put you on the spot and test your masterful understanding of the Greek language. Deeds, not words. What would that phrase sound like in Greek? It depends in modern Greek or ancient. You have your, to give me a second. Your pick. <laughs> I'll have to think about that okay. one. I'm sure there's one that someone came up with. I just can't think of it. Well, we're, we're going to throw that in the, in the show notes too. But regardless, folks, hopefully you enjoyed it. Take action. Deeds, not words. Find a way to put this wonderful perspective and expertise into your day-to-day. 
But most importantly, folks, on behalf of our entire team here at Supply Chain, I'm Scott Luton challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change. And with that said, we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Thank you.